So my guest today, Scott Galloway, I have to warn you, speaks really, really quickly and drops numbers and statistics like it's some sort of drive-by shooting. He is a professor at New York University Stern School of Business. Um, He served on the board of directors of Eddie Bauer, the New York Times, Gateway Computer, Urban Outfitters. He used to teach at Berkeley's Haas School of Business. And he has a new book out called The Four, which is about the four horsemen, perfect for Halloween week. And it is the story of the hidden DNA of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. And he tells stories about why these companies have become so big and so great and why they're so terrifying about the future. So I'd like to welcome Scott to the program today. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so you just, did you just fly in? Yeah, I'm on a tour of the West Coast doing a loop. I'm in Bentonville tomorrow and then Bentonville? Florida. Yes. What's in Bentonville? Well, there's only one thing in Bentonville. You tomorrow. And Walmart. Oh, got it. So you just, um, you just wrote a wonderful new book called The Four, The Hidden DNA of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google. I'm going to start with a, just a basic question here. Yeah. Who's the most evil out of the four of these companies? Oh, my gosh. The most evil. The most, the one that we, if you were to write the screenplay for the movie of the company that takes over the world with right. their robots and we all end, end up dying at the, at the hand of them, which one is it? Because it could be any, any of these four. Sure. So I'd say, so I'm going to give you a non-answer, it's sort of a non-answer, but I think the most immediate threat is from Facebook, the weaponization of the world's largest media company by an intelligence unit of Russia with, and then the response, a series of denials and half measures, I think poses an immediate threat. I think it just shows their tone deaf. The most dangerous economically is Amazon. Amazon is literally heading to a singularity, or we're headed to a singularity with Amazon, where the entire consumer stock market responds to not interest rates or the underlying performance of the company, but what Amazon is or isn't doing in that sector that day. So we're headed to an era where Amazon is becoming more powerful than any one entity in the markets. I think that's dangerous. So they, so you're saying that if Amazon doesn't sell a lot of toilet paper on Tuesday, Netflix stocks may fall as a result? No, I'm saying that they just, they just go on background saying they're considering going into the drugstore business and CVS and Walgreens declined 4 and 5% that day. Amazon is now capable of Jedi mind tricks where it can inflict pain on a competitor adversary just by wishing it ill. Uh, but can't all these four do that? No, if, not really. If, if Apple said, oh, we're thinking about getting into grocery, you wouldn't have the, the largest pure play grocery firm in America, Kroger, shed a third of its value, which is what Kroger did in between the time they announced the acquisition of Whole Foods and the time they closed it. Amazon can literally look at, I think Amazon could take the value of any publicly traded consumer firm down 10 to 30% in 30 days just with press releases. All right, so, we, so you were saying of, of the evilness. What's, what's Apple and Google? What is their well, evil Google, superpower? Google's evil or danger is that I think it's a fairly safe assumption that every organization everywhere gets hacked eventually. And if you were to imagine everyone's name and picture above everything they've typed into Google, I think you'd have social chaos. I think you could layer some artificial intelligence on top of that hack and determine who's getting divorced, who's... Um, you could what fetishes you have, what your what businesses you're planning to, partners you're planning to leave, sue. I just think that people don't recognize how much insight into who we are one firm with 90% share has. And I think Apple 
in some ways represents our gross idolatry of innovation and shareholder value. We now wor worship at the altar of innovators as opposed to character and kindness, and we effectively have a modern-day religion that is Apple. Steve Jobs has become our Jesus Christ, and the iPhone is our new cross. So Hall I think they're hallelujah. all... Hallelujah. <laughs> well, that just painted a pretty bleak yeah, picture right. from the beginning. Um, <laughs> yeah, as you can see, I'm not here with a message of hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so, okay, so let's just let's just look at these guys one by one. So, Amazon, I think, is too much. Uh, too much. No, no, this is good. This is good. Uh, uh, Amazon, I think, um, I totally agree, is is pretty terrifying um, uh, because they can they can own the world um, and. One of the things that I find so interesting about them is that there's all this discussion of regulation around mm -hmm. Amazon, but it, it, it appears that, correct me if I'm wrong here, mm -hmm. that Amazon cannot be regulated because it doesn't own an entire industry. Mm, it owns right. 40, 60, 90% of many industries. Do you think that regulation will change as a result of, of what Amazon is, or is it just too powerful? That's a correct question, and that is antitrust to date is makes Amazon actually... Uh, not that susceptible to regulation because most antitrust is based off the notion that if it's good for the consumer, it's good for society and you leave them alone. And the way most regulators assess their litmus test for whether a company is about to become bad for consumers is share of market. And Amazon has between 30 and 40% in the cloud, which is probably the business it's most dominant in. But retail, it really only has about 4%. It, doesn't have, it, does, it has less market share of retail than Walmart. So the fundamental question we're going to wrestle with around antitrust law is, is what is good for the consumer always good for society? Because it's very hard to argue any one of these companies is not good for the consumer. From traditional antitrust, the one that's most susceptible is Google. The one that's probably going to have, the, I think, the populist movement against it is either going to be Facebook if they continue the series of half of denials around around the weaponization of their platform by the GRU. But the one I think that's going to cause the most populist or corporate, rally the most corporate uh, fear is going to be Amazon because they're effectively soaking up all the capital, all the bandwidth, and all the growth of a bunch of non-related industries. So you think Facebook could actually end up being regulated? Well, there's already, they're already talking about, what is it, the fair Facebook ad? You know, the senators are already proposing legislation to force them to disclose their political ads. It's the first time we're going to see regulation against one of the four in a while. So they're right now, and this is something you talk about in, in your book, um, they're all, these guys are all trying to become the first trillion-dollar company. Yeah. It seems like Apple might pull it off, but yet I don't know how the sales of the iPhone are going to be this, this coming quarter, considering people weren't too impressed with what was going on. Do you think, who do you think is going to be the, the first trillion dollar company? Well, logically, it should be Apple because they're closest. My, my money would be on Amazon. On Amazon, too. But, I mean, you're talking about it. The, look at where Amazon is competing against the other three, where the Venn diagram overlap, where it bumps up against the other three, where it bump ups, bumps up against Apple. Most innovative hardware product of 15 and 16, was it the Apple Watch, the Apple Pods? No, it was Amazon's Echo. Look at where it bumps up against Apple and streaming video. 2015, Amazon controlled was number seven in terms of share of streaming video during prime time. By 2016, it was number three. It's now the second largest spender on original content at four and a half billion, just behind Netflix, who increased their content budget two billion when they heard Amazon's footsteps behind them. Hold on, I know you're pregnant with a question. Let me get let me get through the spot. Where they compete with Google and Facebook and digital marketing, Amazon Media Group, which no one talks about, scoring faster than Google, probably faster than Facebook by the end of the year, a billion and a half dollars, triple the size of Snap, coming up on Twitter. 
where they bump up against um, where they bump up against uh, Apple and Voice. Siri used to own Voice. Now Alexa is kicking the crap out of Voice. Seventy percent share in Home Voice. Where they bump up against Microsoft in the cloud. Amazon's number one. Anywhere Amazon is bumping up against the other dominant players, it is winning. So that was going to be my question: is um, is it Alexa? Uh, so I don't believe that there is someone that will come across, come along with a better Google. Um, I just don't think that you'll open a your browser. Search. A better, better search. search engine. Yeah. However, I do believe that we will start to transition to more of the kind of world where, like the movie Her, where we talk to our devices more. Mm-hmm. In that world, it seems that we will. I mean, I've already started doing it. We have Alexa in in the house, and do you have I have a show. Alexa, uh, what's that? The, do you have the one with the screen, the video screen? No, I don't have the, the show one because we have a two and a half year old yeah. and it would just be pressed all the time and yeah. I'd probably end up him ordering a new air conditioner <laughs> to the house or something like that. Um, uh, but, um, or a Russian stripper or something, you never know. But, but, uh, um, you but, say that like it's a bad thing. Yes. Yeah, the things that have happened with Alexa already now that he speaks is, is, is kind of terrifying. Um, but so, but I, now we, I, you know, I used to say, Hey Siri, what's the weather like today? Or I would go to Google and type in weather for my zip code. Now I talk to Alexa, you know, I, mm-hmm. um, there, there are things that will be sitting around the house and someone will have a question and we say, Hey Alexa, what is X, Y, and Z? Do you think that, that there's a world in which Amazon can take away some of the market share from Google? So, yes. Um, yeah. And I, I mean this sincere. I'd like your response to this and get your view on it. But if you look at the battleground or the place where there were hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars of capital reallocation, you know, the deck of the economy was thrown up and reformatted. The, the, the battleground was the phone, right? The, the phone wars, the operating system, whatever you want to call it, apps, social media mostly digested through your phone was the place, the battleground. I think the new battleground is going to be in the home and it's going to be over voice, when I see my kids, my seven and my ten-year-old boy, beginning to interact with Alexa, and that they're starting to interface with media and consumption patterns, uh, my sense is whoever owns Voice, think about how much money the CBG world, largest spenders on advertising, where they how they allocate their capital. Some of it's broadcast commercials, but they spend more money on what's called um, shopper marketing. So end caps, pricing, eye level, design. Um, uh, uh, packaging, all of that goes away with voice. And you begin deferring all of your decisions to the recommendations for voice. So mm. if you ask Alexa for batteries, it comes up with one idea, and that's Amazon's private label. But when you go on the Amazon platform, there's several brands. So voice is going to be literally your shepherd or butler to the consumer world. And whoever that butler is owned by and is controlled by is going to disproportionately take billions, maybe trillions of dollars of value away from other companies. And it feels to me like Alexa has such a head start and is doing such a great job that I don't see why you wouldn't begin asking queries, you know, they call, what do they call them, commands now, on mm-hmm. to Alexa. And you're not going to say, Alexa, please use Google, not Bing. Mm. You're just going to say, my kids no longer defer to me as a source of information. They say, whenever they have a question, they ask Alexa. Yeah, the thing that's amazing for kids is that they don't need to learn how to write and read. Yeah. They can have a communication with a little tube on your countertop. What was um, so? You spent a, a long time, I'm sure, reporting this. What was the biggest shocker for you writing this book? What was the moment where you were like, "Holy shit, that's terrifying," or "That's fascinating," or what was the thing 
in the reporting uh, that, that, that you didn't expect when you set out to, to write this? So you, you do get overwhelmed with just how powerful they are. You keep turning, you keep peeling the onion back and saying, wow, they're even more powerful and dominant than I thought. But more than that, the thing that I find most disturbing, and I think I've become a bit of a, I don't know, evangelist around or but, but passionate's a good word, a little over the top about is, I think we have become totally so enraptured in, in, in with these firms that it strikes me that the, the problem here is the man in the mirror, and that if, a, if the terrorists in San Bernardino had been using a BlackBerry, we would have had a much different response. Why, why, why would we have a much different response? Well, so let's play it out. Uh, terrorist shoots 13 people, and he has an iPhone, and the FBI says, we'd really like to get into this iPhone to see if there's other acts of terror unfolding around the nation. And they get a court order to get into the iPhone. Yep. And Apple challenges the iPhone, saying, look, there needs to be a safe place for our data. If the terrorists had been using a BlackBerry and RIM out of Waterloo, Canada had defied that court order or challenged it, I think there would have been legislation on the floor of Congress the next day to impose a trade embargo on Canada. I think people see the iPhone as this deity. If, you're, if, if you or I are suspected of a DOI, we can be strapped to a chair and have fluids taken from us against our will. If your spouse doesn't come home tomorrow and they can get a search warrant to get into your house and get into your computer. But for some reason, we've decided that the iPhone is holy. I, I didn't realize just how, to the extent that these companies play by a different set of rules, because I think they fill this new void of super beings for us. They take on a religious fervor, and I believe there's an unhealthy passion, and the mother of all hall passes given to these firms. But is that going to continue forever? I mean, the, you know, I, mean I, I completely agree with you. Uh, I mean, the amount of money they're spending on lobbying is just astounding. Is that going to, uh, is that going to change? Is, I mean, how, it's, it, I think one of the things that I found, you, you know, you were just walking up and, uh, and you mentioned um, uh, that I, I changed your life by, yeah. by accident. Uh, by keep, uh, my, keep my devices out now. Well, so from yeah. the campaign, I, so I took on a campaign where I um, uh, didn't believe we should not be able to read our Kindles and use our mm -hmm. iPhones on airplanes. And uh, for the, readers, the listeners out there that don't know the story, um, and three years later, with a lot of other people involved, um, that rule has changed. And, um, and the thing that's so fascinating is I don't believe that the rule was changed because of my reporting or anyone else's reporting or that we, or we, more people were using Kindles. I believe the rule was changed eventually because there were senators and politicians who were like, well, I want to use my device. And I right. think that that was the thing that really tipped it over the edge. Yep. And, and is there something, and that's always the case when you look at yep. all these new laws, it's like, well, my daughter said what, or, yeah. you know, do you think that there will be something that happens with, in, with people in Congress or something like that, where they'll be like, holy shit, we need to change this, or, or is it just not in their purview? So I am optimistic that there is going to be safeguards, and there's two things. One, there's safety and hatred. They hate each other, so there is com competition amongst the four. They used to be, it seems like they almost had an unwritten agreement not to play in each other's sandbox. Until well, they were all on each other's boards ago. for a while, too, right? Right. That's right. Uh, what was it? Eric Schmidt was on Apple's board? Yeah. Is that right? Anyway, mm -hmm. so that's changed, though, and that's a good thing, right? Competition is a good thing, going after each other. I think the, the, the pushback, the real pushback against big tech that'll probably be healthy 
It's going to happen, but I don't think it's going to happen when we think. I don't think it's going to happen here in the U.S. I think it's going to happen in Europe. I think. Yeah, the, I agree with that. The you know, and the the historical analogies are huge. The biggest you know, World War Three or the biggest war against tech is going to happen in continental Europe because in the U.S. I don't think you can get around it. It'd be just easier to say these guys are evil. They're not. You meet the people here. They're not evil people. And we register in the U.S. huge benefit from these organizations. The biggest recruiter out of my class at Stern is Amazon. Um, they they'd create economic growth. It, it's hard. It would be. You might say that even with the job destruction, even with the tax avoidance, every country in the world would take all those problems in exchange for those companies relocating their headquarters. They're a source of huge national pride. We register benefit. In Europe, they register all of the downsides, the job destruction, the concerns about privacy, the anti-competitive behavior, the tax avoidance, and they register a fraction of the upside. There are very few hospital wings. There are very few university buildings named after Facebook or Google billionaires in Europe. It's just they don't, they don't get the upside, but they get most of the downside. Mm-hmm. So that stiffens their backbone. I think you're going to see regulation. I think you're going to see the first $10 billion plus fine come out of Europe against one or more of the four. And there's a non-zero probability that one small nation, I don't know who it is in Europe, I think it'll be one of the smaller ones, maybe Northern Europe, is outright going to ban one or more of these companies from doing business in their nation. So you think that there could be a world where Germany says, Google, you're no longer welcome? I don't think it's Germany. But you can see the narrative here, or the algebra, the math, or whatever. Finland, and I know nothing about the Finnish, you know, the, the politics and the economics, but Finland says, all right, Google is increasing its presence and penetration here. And let's look at Italy. What happened to Google? What happened to Italy's media business, newspapers, television, employment base, tax base with Google over the last 20 years? Now let's look at China, who basically let Google in for long enough to steal its IP and then support a local entrepreneur and capture all the value internally. Who's the dumb one here? Mm-hmm. Italy or China? Yep. And we have this immediate reflex reaction, which I think is the right one. We have treaties. We believe in capitalism. We believe in competition. We believe in fair trade. But I wonder if one of these nations is going to say, you know what? We're going to go the Chinese way and kick them out. Do you think, you know, so one of the things with China that's really interesting is that um, uh, Mark Zuckerberg put a tremendous amount of effort into being able to operate in China and learning Mandarin, learning Mandarin, but also <laughs> going over there. And that's yeah, I mean, core. he, yeah, that's, but that's Mark, you know, he's like, yeah. I'm going to do it no matter yeah. what it takes. And it didn't work. Do you think that there will be a, a, a time when, when it will work, when Facebook will, I mean, one of the things that's really interesting is Facebook now has a quarter of the billion of the planet on its platform. Yeah. And for Mark Zuckerberg, that is not even close to enough. Yeah. I mean, if, if you or I started something and, and like 100 people used it, we'd be like, holy shit, we built this app yeah. and 100 people use it. But for yeah. him, 2.25 billion is just not the right number. What do you think is the cap for where Facebook goes? Do you think it gets into China? Do you think that every child born in, you know, in um, the United States eventually is automatically put on the platform, something like that? Uh, what happens? So I don't think China lets them in. No. No, I think China's smart. I think China would rather prop up a local competitor and, and get most of the value capture themselves. And I think you're seeing it across, with the exceptional luxury industry, the general, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grossly oversimplify economic history, but if you're growing your GDP faster than 7 8%, it means one of your core competences as an economy is theft. We did it in the 1800s, stole a bunch of manufacturing and artisan technology out of Ireland and England. The Chinese are great at theft. They call it benchmarking or best practices. Yeah. We call it IP theft. Yeah. 
And quite frankly, it's been a really good model. If you're just focused on Chinese well-being, which is what their leaders should be focused on, why would they let them in? Maybe, maybe at some point competition is good, but they, those companies seem to be chug, Alibaba, Tencent, are now, I think, the sixth and the eighth most valuable companies in the world. They've captured a lot of that value, so I don't think they're going to let them in. I don't see why they would. Yeah, I don't think so either. I'm just curious what you thought. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Owning a PC used to be fun. You could surf the web, play some games, chat with your friends, read the news, watch some videos. You weren't stressed out about what could go wrong every single time you went online. But now you're constantly worried about hackers, thieves, people stealing your identity, taking over your computer, you name it. HP PCs are actually designed with safeguards in place to stop hackers from doing exactly that. HP has systems in place in their latest PCs that make it so your devices and your data are as safe as possible. You might be thinking, wait, I have a good PC, why do I need a new one? But putting aside the safety and security concerns, people sometimes think they're saving money by using an old PC. But as technology has gotten better and more efficient, the amount of power used to run that computer drops dramatically. So upgrading to a new HP PC could actually save you a lot of time and money. HP offers a three-year standard warranty on select PCs. If you run a small, medium, or large business, HP has dedicated sales teams to help you figure out what you need for your office. They offer excellent pricing and free shipping and returns. And HP even has flexible financing options for people. Right now, listeners can go to hp.com slash hive and enter the code hive, that's H-I-V-E, to save 35% on select HP business products with Intel Core processors. You also get a three-year standard warranty on select PCs and free shipping store-wide. Again, go to hp.com slash hive, enter my code hive at checkout, and you get 35% off on select business PCs. See the website for more complete details. So shifting gears a little bit here, um, uh, so you used to be on the board of the New York Times, um, and so you have a, a, a pretty good understanding of, of the media world. The, the effect that these companies has had, have had on, the, on media mm-hmm. has been astounding um, mm-hmm. and is still happening. Today there was just a, a story uh, th- th- this week about Facebook is now saying that um, uh, it will uh, give more attention to posts that have been sponsored from articles mm-hmm. uh, um, on the newsfeed and, of course, suppress those that haven't. So this place where 48% of Americans, according to Pew, now get their mm-hmm. news from um, is going to be uh, decided based on what publishers are willing to, to pay. How do you think that this is going to play out in the news media? It's very apparent that um, every single one of these companies, and Amazon included, has mm-hmm. had an impact on the media world. Uh, some would say in a negative way, some would say in a positive way. Um, what do you think, how does this play out in the next, in the next two to five years? I mean, it, that's, it, a, that's a long time. So I'll give you some, I'll, I'll give you some viewpoints from historical content. In my second board meeting in the New York Times, I suggested that we turn off Google and that we sell Eric Schmidt 20% of the company and make him CEO. He had just been kicked up to chairman, which is usually not the CEO's idea. Yep. And I thought one of the stupid decisions we and traditional print media made was buying into this total bullshit that information wanted to be free. Mm-hmm. You know, did Bloomberg ever buy into that bullshit that information wants to be free? No. Information like the rest of us and every other consumer product wants to be scarce and expensive. 
but we had these really compelling, young, smart people in front of Congress saying information wants to be free, and everybody wants to hang out with the quarterback and the prom queen, so everyone decided we're going to let Google crawl our data, slice it up, and sell it for more than we can, and totally debase our content. It was the stupidest thing we could have ever done. I was encouraging or wanted to get all the families together, and they are families and all the media companies, to turn off Google and then create the mother of all licensing deals to one of these companies, whether it was AOL, whether it was Twitter, whether it was Facebook, XYZ, or Google, and say, you can have all of our content, but you're going to pay for it, and everybody else is going to be a sewer. Instead, we gave it away for free, thinking, oh, wait, but they'll drive us traffic, which we monetized at X, and they monetized their search, their, search, their search ads against our content at 10X. And along the way, we not only lit legitimized shitty content, it ends up we're now legitimizing fake content. Old media has been co-opted into legitimizing fake news by letting it appear next to it. TV never bought into this bullshit. TV, ABC never said, hey, Google, you can cut up Modern Family and play the funniest moments from last night because they saw how it ended for print. The stupidest thing we ever did in print media was buy into the lie that information wants to be free. And then what did we do? Signed up again for instant articles because, oh, there's a new hot girl. It's called Facebook. Took the gun away from our feet after spraying bullets in our feet and put it in our mouth. We should shut these platforms down and turn them into sewers of content and start licensing our content. But and it may be too late. It but may be here's too late. The pro I, and I completely 1,000% agree with you, and I was at the Times for a long time and was, was voicing not the same thing, but somewhat similar things. Um, one of the things that is the problem now is you could say, oh, well, the New York Times and the Washington Post and this place and that place should do that. But then you get, you know, Joe's news blog or the Beltway gateway or whatever it is that says, well, I'm going to give it to Google. So then Google starts to highlight those things. So it seems sure. like the, the ship has already sailed. It may be too late. So Estee Lauder didn't want to distribute through Sephora because they saw Sephora as a threat. So Sephora found all these incredible independent brands and now has prob is probably more powerful than Estee Lauder because they brought all these new brands to life. But 10 years ago, if the new houses, the Salzburgers, the Murdochs, the Pearsons, whoever else had got together and said, we're going to license our content and make it really expensive, and said to Google and Facebook, fine, you can have Breitbart. Fine, you can have Joey Bag of Donuts blog. Fine. It's a great blog, by the way. Is it? It's pretty good. It's not bad. We could have maintained... Look, there's a reason Hermes doesn't distribute Birkin bags through Walmart. Your distribution has a huge impact on someone's perception of the quality of your content. And we have taken what is the most gorgeous content in the world, which I believe is the New York Times content, which is the most robust evangelist for Western values, and we've totally debased it. We've taken a Birkin bag and we've sold it at Target. So what happens next with the New York Times, for example? Well, you're seeing these guys have a bit of a renaissance because scarcity is key to business. When something is art artisanal and precious and well done and scarce, it becomes worth more. And the New York Times and the Washington Post, their content, it's not that their content has gotten better. It's just that the sheer volume of fake content surrounding it has increased so much that content that has some veracity and depth and genuine rigor around the reporting has the perception, at least, of having greater scarcity. So where we're seeing a renaissance where all of a sudden the truth or the near truth matters more and has greater scarcity value. So I think you're seeing a renaissance of, the, uh, a renaissance of those companies. But I think of those companies, a lot of companies that compete with Amazon, 
need to start getting off their heels and pushing back. And I think they knew it, they need to do it together. I believe that you know, when the, when the Germans rolled into Slovakia and Poland with their panzer tanks, the Russians, the British, and the Americans figured out a way to get along. I think we're at that moment where the, the Wall Street Journal doesn't compete with the New York Times. They're no. adversaries, but no. they're, not, they're not enemies. No. The enemy that's rolled in, rolled in a while ago, was Google. Now they have a new one called Facebook. Facebook. And they should bind together, and they should absolutely turn off both these platforms and start licensing their content at incredibly rich deals. They will take a hit. Their stock will take a hit. They'll be seen as old economy. And it may, you, you know what? You may be right. It may be too late. I think it's worth the risk. So if you... When, how, what years were you at the New York Times on the board? I was only there two years. What, 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 how did, why did you end up leaving? I, basically, I was kicked off. I, got a, I, I was the first director put on the board over the family's objections. I raised a bunch of money, became uh, the largest shareholder in the company, and got two seats on the board. It was, we went on April of 2008. Our timing wasn't great. Um, we hit the crisis. And to management's credit, they were, very, they were really a steady hand through the crisis and figured it out. And then two years later, the, my backers wanted out. They'd gotten their hands badly burned. And without being the largest shareholder, you know, I was, all I was was this unwashed mongrel who had, who had <laughs> illegitimately found himself on the board. And I was asked to leave, and I complied. So you mentioned when you came in here, uh, there's a bunch of books on the wall, uh, um, on bookshelves, that there was one book in particular. Which one was it that you were talking about? The- oh, I saw the book, uh, Conversations with Woody Allen by Eric Lacks, who is a, a really uh, a neat guy. Or, uh, I only, only met him at um, annual meetings, but I believe he's one of the members of the trust. The New York Times has a trust representing family members, and I think it's six people, and five of the six have to vote in unison to sell the company. So basically, they've created a suicide pact where the company will never be sold. So that was my question is, uh, I, you know, I remember when I worked at the Times, there was, I don't know, there was always something going on, but there was some big news event. And I, and I saw the reports of, of what was, you know, what you were reading in, in the competitors and in Gawker and on the Washington Post and this, that, and the other about this event that had taken place at the Times. And not only was it mostly incorrect, it was also, we worked there, and there's someone said it's so funny how outside the organization, people think they know more than what's going on sure. inside the organization, and we're reporters and we can't figure it out. Yeah. And the question that a lot of people constantly ask was, what happens to the New York Times? Does it sell eventually? Who does it sell to? Does Mike Bloomberg buy it? Does Eric Schmidt take over? Does yeah. something like, does Sheryl Sandberg come in? Yeah. What do you think happens? So I'll tell you what I, what I thought was going to happen, and I was wrong. Uh, Bloomberg was coming up on the end of his second term, and there was a rumor that he was going to buy it. It wasn't immediately clear who the successor was. The Wall Street Journal had just, show, just sold at a huge premium, and the New York Times owned all these non-core assets, including the seventh tallest building in America and 70, 17% of the Boston Red Sox. So I wasn't on there to save the world. I was doing this as purely a capitalist adventure, and I thought, some of the parts here, it's worth more than it is. We're going to go and have them sell non-core assets, cut the dividend, double down on technology, and then we're potentially going to sell it to Michael Bloomberg or, at a minimum, prepare ourselves for the future. And then, you know, all bets were off when the crisis came. Everything just changed dramatically. But I don't see, you know, my limited exposure to the family was that they take, and, and, and what I probably didn't appreciate as much at the time, they take their role 
in society and their support of journalism very seriously. Incredibly seriously. Very committed to it. Yeah. And I think we all benefit from it. I really do. Now, yeah, without ha- a doubt. Have they made great business decisions all the time? No. But look, and uh, the... The bottom line is, I think the best thing that can happen to these companies is a quote-unquote benevolent billionaire takes them over. And it sounds like a weird business model, but they need capital and they need, you know, Republicans own football teams and Democrats own newspapers is kind of how I see the world playing out. Um, I don't don't think they're going to sell. They now are grooming a couple cousins that seem like talented young people to take over from Arthur, and I, I think the company's doing better, so there's not the same cash flow pressure there used to be. So I think it's in, it's owned by the same people for at least 20, 30, maybe 50 years. We'll see. I hope you're right. I mean, I mean, I hope you're right in the respect of that that the that the institution sticks around in in the way that it should, because it you know people there do incredible work. It's I, I just you know I have this feeling that that you could take with a lot of these places, not just the New York Times. New York Times, Wall Street Journal, you know, Post, places like that. You could take the journalists and you could put them anywhere in any organization on the planet and they would do equally as incredible journalism. You could take a reporter from the New York Times and put them at BuzzFeed or something like that. But if you took the management of these institutions and you put them somewhere else, they would not do well because they have this – it's a very old school mentality um, and uh, and it's one that has not – has. The, the lack of change has benefited the institution because um, it means that the New York Times has looked like the New York Times for, mm-hmm. for forever. But um, in, a, in a time of massive upheaval and change, um, it has not. And so. so I agree with you. I don't think management or the sales team or the design group was as strong. The bad news is by far the strongest part of the company was the newsroom. But the good news is, is that management realized that. And they were yeah. very remiss. They really tried to protect the newsroom. And to the Times' credit, you know, they did make big investments under the leadership of Martin Nissenholtz, who was a bright guy and a forward-looking guy. They made good, big bets on, on um, you know, on... Look, you can't really fault them. There aren't a lot of newspapers that have just killed it the last 10 years, right? So they've done as well or better than anybody but we made an enormous strategic error, and I believe the biggest strategic error we made in probably the, maybe in the history of media was letting Google come into our basement and crawl our servers, it, it, which was the equivalent in my mind of letting Google literally pull up with a dump truck, an empty dump truck, and take cash out of our, of our vault. I think it was that simple. And we let them do it and continue to let them. I say we. And the New York Times <clears throat> continues to let them do it, as does every other print property. They've pulled a little bit back with the meter, the paywall, but it's still, they should get all of their content off of there. So one of the things that's been going on um, the last 10, 11 months, um, uh, and before that, but what we've known about for 10, 11 months, um, has been this fake news problem. Yeah. And, um, and one of the, uh, the printing presses of that has been places like Google and Facebook. Um, and when you hear Facebook talk about it, um, Google's kind of been pretty quiet about it, but when you hear Facebook talk about it, uh, first of all, they're, they're, you know, there's this nonsense, so it's not our fault. We don't decide what goes on the platform. We're just the, you know, the place mm-hmm. for people to share it. Um, we're not a media company. We're a technology company, mm-hmm. uh, which Sheryl Sandberg said about a week or two ago. Um, I personally think that those answers and responses are complete bullshit. Um, uh, but I'm curious what you think as someone who has, has 
has written it's, about it's, these. It's not only bullshit, but from a pure shareholder standpoint of Facebook, it's stupid. Because Martha Stewart didn't go to jail for insider trading. She went to jail for denying she had traded on insider information. She went to jail for obstruction of justice. The damage done to organizations in crises isn't the crisis itself. It's how you handle the crisis. And there's only one thing you have to remember. You have to overcorrect. You have to clear every shelf of all Tylenol nationwide. You can't say, oh, well, this is an isolated incident. It won't happen again. And the fact that Sheryl Sandberg came out last week and repeated this, we're, we're not a media company thing again. Let me skip to where they're going to end up. And the longer they wait... The, the, the more literally tens or possibly of hundreds of billions of dollars their shareholders lose. It's Mark Zuckerberg saying, we're a media company. 50% of Americans get their news from us. We're spending a billion dollars on original content. We're paying sports franchises money to produce original content. We define what it is to a media con uh, company. We have embraced the celebrity, the influence, and the margins of a media company. And to date, we've been allergic to the responsibilities, but no more. With respect to what has gone on with the GRU, I, Mark Zuckerberg, will promise, I am promising here, I am signing in blood, it will never happen again, no matter the cost. Full stop. I am going gangster on these guys. I'm not going to hire 250 or 1,000 people in defense and security. I'm going to hire 10,000, and then I'm going to spend 500 million bucks a year in artificial intelligence to help the 1,000 or 10,000 people identify, distill, and arrest this content. And by the way, that would, bing, that would ding their cash flow about 5 or 10%. If the New York Times can protect us from the subterfuge of our democracy from intelligence units, of the Russian government that, by the way, paid in rubles, which is literally and figuratively a red flag, then Facebook can figure it out with $12 billion in free cash flow. But you're saying Mark Zuckerberg will say that or he should say that? It, I, think, I think at some point they get there. I just think they have to. I think people are going to get angry and angrier. I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I, I, two years ago, I had uh, nothing but respect for Zuckerberg and thought he was uh, you know, a genius because of how quickly he built the company and so on and so forth. I look at the things he's said and done over the past few months, and I think that he's completely lost the plot. Like, I, I just have no idea what the hell he's thinking, if he's thinking at all. I think part of it, the problem is that he, all he does is live in the Facebook world and nothing else. And, but there's been signs of that for a while. Right? Yeah, 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 but but it really has been, become apparent uh, with this whole process. How? But so you said that that if they don't address this, it will have um, problems for their shareholders. How? Oh, I think I think if they continue to deny this and it happens again, which it will, if they don't put in a lot of safeguards, I think we're going to get angrier and angrier and provide support and cloud cover for increased regulation or fines. Or intervention. So this you think that serious. they could? You think that 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 if Facebook doesn't deal with this problem, that the government will step in and regulate? Either this government or the European government. I think shit's going to get real when you all of a sudden become Putin's bitch, and you refuse to say, "I'm going to stop this full, full stop." Are we talking about Trump here or Zuckerberg? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, but but that's an interesting analogy, right? You, I felt like Sarah. Uh, I feel as if. I feel as, and I'm going to get so much crap on Twitter uh, on this, I feel that Sheryl Sandberg was eerily reminiscent of Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who was forced to go out there and say something. I believe she knows that's not true. I believe that anyone with, who is as intelligent as Sheryl Sandberg is, I think she's a remarkable m woman. I think she knows they're a media company. 
And for her, I think she's towing the party line on behalf of her boss and eroding her own credibility. I think she had her Sarah Huckabee Sanders moment, and I think it's really a shame. Do you think that um, uh, this is now a party line at Facebook? Is we have to go out there and say we're, we're not a media company because then we don't have to deal with this problem? Well, they did it for a couple of reasons. One, media companies trade at a much lower multiple of, of EBITDA and revenues than technology companies, so there's a stock market reason. But I think they're so far beyond that in terms of their performance. I don't think it would hurt them. But look, the, the fourth estate has a special responsibility in our society. It just, it does. And when you get to go to cool parties and have lunch with Boutros, Boutros, Gali and run ads at 90 plus percent margins as a media company, there's a general compact with society that you're going to try at least, or at least pretend to try to have some veracity around your reporting, or at least you're going to appreciate the role you have. Mm. And when they say we're a media company, not a platform, that's tantamount to McDonald's finding out, are we finding out that McDonald's was serving 80% fake beef, we were getting encephalitis and making bad decisions, and then, fa- and then saying, McDonald's, were really pissed off at you, and them saying, well, hold on, we're not a fast food restaurant, we're a fast food platform. It, why, would we accept that? No. How is that any yeah. different here? Yeah. So, and if you look at traditionally at, at crisis management, crises are opportunities. A company can come out stronger, and it has to be acknowledge the problem, Top guy or gal takes responsibility for addressing the problem, and the key is you overcorrect. And this has been a series of half measures and denials. They are. This is going to be a textbook case study in how not to handle a crisis. There's been a, quite a few uh, companies in Silicon Valley that, that we could uh, we could say that about. This is Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. I grew up cooking. When I was a kid, if I helped in the kitchen, I got to lick chocolate sauce off the spoon before dinner. But as an adult, life gets busy, and it's increasingly become more difficult to figure out what to make for our growing family, never mind getting to the market and finding time to actually cook. So a couple of weeks ago, I signed up for HelloFresh, and dinner in the Bilton household has changed dramatically. We've eaten chicken milanese with crispy potatoes, pan-seared gnocchi with pesto, and we also had this delicious mushroom ravioli gratin, which was done in one single pot. Not only does HelloFresh deliver food to your doorstep, but it does so in a recyclable, insulated box. The tissue they use to ship your food and the ice packs are all recyclable. I didn't feel any guilt from using the service. In fact, I felt like it actually helped the environment by skipping half a dozen drives to the grocery store last week. Cooking was also collaborative, just like it was when I was a kid, and my toddler jumped in and helped, and yes, I let him lick the spoon before dinner. One of my favorite parts beyond the delicious food, of course, is that HelloFresh sends you just the exact amount of ingredients you need to cook so you don't find yourself with unwanted extras sitting in your fridge unused. The food is delicious. It's like a farm-to-box company. They offer classic boxes, veggie boxes, and family boxes. You can order for three, four, or five different meals per week, and every week they create brand new recipes. HelloFresh is offering $30 off the first this week to listeners of the show. All you need to do is sign up at HelloFresh.com and use the promo code HIVE30. That's H-I-V-E-3-0. That's once again, it's HelloFresh.com. Sign up, pick the box you want, and use the promo code HIVE30. Once again, HIVE30. It's fresh, it's simple, and it comes straight from a farm to your table. All right, so um, so winding down here, um, let's just go through these four companies. Um, actually, I have one quick question before we sure. get there. Why wasn't Microsoft on this list? Why wasn't it the five? Because uh, I don't understand Microsoft as well. It should be. It should. So it should. It you should think be it called should the be five. The yeah. five. 
We could change the book. Yeah, I know. Could... The bottom line is, Nick, to be honest, I don't understand Microsoft that well. I've just never understood their business. And so the excuse I use is that they're largely a B2B, not a consumer company. Got it. But if I'm intellectually honest, they should have been included. Got it. Um, okay. Well, so uh, let's look at the, the four mm-hmm. right now. Thanks for that. And uh, <laughs> um, and uh, where do you think these companies are in five years? Let's just go through them one by one. Apple. What is it doing? Is it... Are they in the driverless car market are they is their stock over a trillion or is it full into half what it is today is tim cook considered a great ceo or a, a bad choice where do you think let's go it's had that. such an it's had such an incredible run-up i don't think it's going to get to a trillion i think it's going to i think it's going to be um i don't think apple's along right now even though i own the stock i think they they start to milk the brand by putting it on different things i would buy a refrigerator if it had an apple logo on it and i think the pressure to find new hits will force them to put their brand on different things around the home. Well, it seems like they've done, they haven't done much in a while. I mean, one the of the iPhone. big, but the iPhone, so yeah, period, the but, iPhone period, that's it. Yeah. Five years ago, it was a diversified company. It could have been four or five public companies. Now it's basically the iPhone and the seven dwarves. And so if iPhone sales continue to fall, um, not fall, but not rise at the speed that, that Wall Street wants them to, um, is this company, is it in trouble? I think from a shareholder standpoint, it's probably the least attractive right now. From a brand standpoint, it's probably the only one that survives a century because it has such this fervor around the brand. Apple is a new luxury item that, that means you have good genes. The iOS is a new luxury item. And probably, the people don't realize it, the, the most genius decision that's created more shareholder value than any other decision in the history of business was Steve Jobs going into his board and saying, I know, let's go into this declining medium called stores. Because the, pre, the pre-purchase Valerium Steel of broadcast advertising to build brands is getting duller and duller because anyone with any money is opting out of advertising. Advertising's become the tax the poor and the technologically illiterate have to pay. But the point of consummation of your relationship with the brand at purchase still has a large impact on your viewpoint of the brand. They have the most amazing brand in the world. And as a result, they have a company that has the margins of Ferrari with the production volumes of Toyota. And as long as they can find other products to create that sort of brand halo around, they'll do really well. But it is scary if I were a shareholder there that in the last five or seven years, everyone talks about services. Yeah, sort of. But how much of those services, again, are driven off the iPhone? So it's become Google where Google was a one-trick pony. Yeah. Speaking of Google. So Google... I'm actually quite bullish on Google because really, I, I see. I would. I just. I'm gonna uh, uh, hear what you have to say, but but I actually, if if I, I I am not, I think that Google is in some serious trouble. Well, the voice thing is scary. I think strategically, when you look at the company from a consumer standpoint, it's easy to be um, bearish on Google. Why I am bullish on Google is I think Google has the greatest concentration of IQ ever assembled in the history of mankind. I think they've always had an appreciation, and this is me talking my own book as a book because I'm, you know, consider myself somewhat of an academic. But Eric Schmidt, I think they've instilled an appreciation for just raw intellectual horsepower at that company, and they've created a compensation structure and culture where they're able to retain really smart people. But I think there's more IQ at Google than there was at the Manhattan Project or NASA. And I think they're just going to figure it out. Uh, you know, if, if you're but one of these... don't you worry that they have, what is it, 92% of their revenue comes from search? And if search is starting to be, you know, dwindled out a little bit by these, you know, Alexa and other tools that... Well, it's worse than that. It's 92% of revenue and like 120% of their profits, right? Yeah. 
I'm, uh, you know, I like YouTube. Look, I, I, I get. It. I just, as VCs say, you bet on a good management team. I think they just continue to attract incredibly smart people. Also, and this is being a little bit sentimental, I think they have a sense, or they're a little bit more self-aware about how dangerous their data could be. And I think that unlike Zuckerberg, I think they actually kind of get it. Hmm. You know, you do hear early on, you heard Schmidt talk about a lot about how they take a lot of steps to ensure they anonymize data before attaching uh, uh, searches before attaching them to individual identities that they don't do that whereas zuckerberg is i think zuckerberg would literally like to give people the ability to target based on i don't know if they could figure out very private things about you he wouldn't see a problem with it. yeah zuckerberg i'm sure would be like if you could you target people that only have four toes and he'd be like great sure that's a perfect he will pay a premium for that people with diabetes or whatever it's it's, but and, and by the way i don't think that's him i think it's a generational thing that generation is just more promiscuous with their data. I think data. also a little bit him. I mean, fair enough. He's part not human. I, I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> part not human. Uh, you know him. I don't. Um, um, so Google, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still. Uh, do you think on. that Google um, driverless? What's the? What do you think is the 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 potential revenue for for Google's driverless car business that they're so? I think driverless cars, maybe with the exception of virtual reality, is going to destroy more shareholder value than any technology. I think it's overhyped. Really complicated. Really. And going to soak up massive amounts of capital. I think it's going to be great for us. I can't wait, but I think it's going to destroy a ton of shareholder value. I I see it as the the biggest. I think it's going to have a bigger impact on society than anything since it's a the different history question. of the printing press. I'm not I'm not saying no, society. No, but, but, see, but yes, but if it does have the biggest impact on society yeah. than anything, it's going to have. There's a mm. huge, huge potential upside. Not Lunar landing set off an arms race. Tons of DARPA. The the Going to the moon had a huge impact on society. Did anyone make a lot of money off of that? Well, it, I think driverless cars are going to be awesome. I'm just not sure. I think the first people in it are going to be true innovators and get mud on their face and arrows on their back. I'd be a fast follower. I'd wait that one out. All right. All right. Okay. So uh, next up, um, you want to do Amazon or Facebook next? Uh, I think Facebook's the most vulnerable. Okay. Let's go. Let's hear it. Um, I think this Russia thing is a big deal. I really do. And I think unless they get out ahead of it, they could subject themselves to real, um, real scrutiny and real anger from, from governments. I don't think it's going to happen with consumers. I, you know, consumers talk a big game and then want the you know, little black dress for nine ninety nine. I think they're going to go on with platforms. looks like the Facebook platform is aging a little bit. And I think interruption advertising, which at the end of the day is what Facebook is, it's, it's amazing. Unbelievable interruption advertising, unbelievable targeting. But I think they are the most vulnerable because I don't think the management team there has the depth of the other guys. And I think this Russia thing is, is a real risk. I think this Russia thing could take the multiple on their EBITDA down if, if, if governments start getting really angry at them. So the question before we get to Amazon, which we started off with, um, I've always I've wondered, you know, why... Wall Street does not respond to these things more. If you look at every time there's some sort of fake news story or, you know, uh, with Facebook or it turns out that you can micro-target people that say the N-word on Twitter or or that you can figure out if, if someone's a Nazi on Google or whatever it is, the stock doesn't fucking move. It literally stays it, – it, it either stays where it is or it goes up. It's, it's almost as if Wall Street doesn't see that news or do they just not care? Well, I don't know. It's, tobacco stocks have been great stocks. I mean, they're not there to 
they're not there to invest behind social good or what make what's making the world a better place. They're there to figure out the present. No, 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 no. I, 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 I get that. But aren't they aren't they thinking, oh, this is probably not a good idea. Uh, this could affect the shareholder value in the future. Uh, or yeah, it-, it hasn't. They, you haven't seen any of that because for the most part, they've been able to roll over any of this. I mean, literally steamroller it and and take. You know, basically roll over it with another amazing record blowout quarter, which is probably going to happen with Facebook. I don't think you're going to see any signs of this economically in Facebook for a while. But then eventually it will... I think they could get the mother of all fines. I think if, if all of a sudden it comes out... But what is the mother... Okay, so you saw a $10 billion fine for Apple would be like, oh, let me just go find that quarter I dropped in the point. couch cushion. Fair point. Google, $2.7 billion fine, 3% of cash on hand. Their stock went up the day it was announced. It's like... But what if, what if Finland or Norway or somebody says we're kicking Facebook out? We don't need our elections weaponized. Right? I, I mean, I... One little nation does America that. should kick them out. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> That's a tough one. Yeah, the teenagers would not be... High. Actually, the teenagers don't use Facebook. They use yeah, Instagram, no, it's Instagram or WhatsApp. Right. So um, Amazon now. Amazon, That's almost, uh, yeah. Amazon's busted a move. Amazon will be the first trillion-dollar company. As excited as you are about driverless cars, I'm excited about what Amazon's doing. If I was the head of strategy for Amazon, what I think they're doing is they're putting in place all the chess pieces they've got your credit card history they've got artificial intelligence they've got a fulfillment network that puts a warehouse within 20 miles of 45 percent of the u.s population which is misleading it's really 75 percent of the u.s disposable income they have alexa they have an incredible reputation for brand and they have pretty much every product you ever want and they're going to start something they're going to run a test called prime square and we'll just use that as a placeholder they run in a college town where there's 100 percent ubiquitous penetration of smartphones and broadband and they're going to say nick we think we know what you want across your low-consideration consumer life, which is probably 80 or 90% of your Be- purchases. Before I want it? Zero click. We're going to send you two boxes three times a week. One's going to be empty. One's going to have all the stuff in it we think you want. You put the stuff you don't want back in it. And then you calibrate with your voice using Echo. And you say, Amazon, Stella Artois, not Hamagot. Amazon, I want honest diapers, not Kimberly Clark. Amazon, I'm going on vacation for two weeks. Amazon, I want... Four quotes for auto insurance via email for a 2015 Volvo SUV. They're going to run this test. People are going to decide they love it. It's going to take prime users from $1,300 a year to $7,000. The stock's going to become anti-gravity, go to a trillion dollars. We're going to freak out and break them up. Uh, (laughs) Terrifying, but actually quite useful. It's funny. I actually... um, I remember when I was in college, I was always terrified by big corporations because they felt like they knew too much about people and that they were too powerful and so on and so forth. And I was sitting in my living room the other day and I had to get some new diapers and I was like, oh, I should get some sparkling water and all these things. And and then 45 minutes later, an hour later, it showed up at my front door and I was like, wow, I love Amazon. It's such mm-hmm. a great company. And I don't feel that way about it because it, it is so useful. But I, it's what I find so fascinating about what you just said is the way I shop on Amazon is I go to my past purchases. And mm-hmm. if, if they know how often I order those things, then why wouldn't it just show up? And they have all the pieces in place to go to zero click. And when, will, do, you think, when do you think that will happen? I think they'll run the test in the next 12 to 24 months. I think the stock's going to double in the next 12 to 24 months. I don't see – I think it's the most – I've never seen a company firing on all 12,000 cylinders the way this company is. And what is their potential Achilles heel? Washington or Brussels, in, not in that order. Their Achilles heel is Brussels. And, wh- and How? Uh, the only regulator in the world whose testicles have descended, Marguerite Bessinger, is going to come after them. 
and do what? Break them up, ban them, start fining them a billion dollars a month, uh, sue them for non-competitive practices, kick them out of countries. So then how does the stock continue to double if that's what happens? Oh, I think the stock's going to, I don't think that's going to happen in the next 12 or 24 months. I think the test will happen. I think the zero click order, think about Whole Foods. Whole Foods will be to Amazon what face what Instagram was to Facebook. This is going to be the best acquisition of this decade. Whole Foods. What's the only reason we don't want we, you don't shop at Whole Foods all the time? Because I have to get in my car and go there. Well, why else though? Why uh, wouldn't you shop at Whole Foods all the time? Some stuff's expensive. Price. It's about to become the grocery equivalent of a Mercedes for the price of a Toyota. Amazon's going to take their operational excellence and their zero percent return hurdle and turn. Whole Foods is incredibly awesome. So now they have the intensity across these prime households, which, by the way, there's more prime households and have a landline phone or voted in the 2016 election. Soon there's going to be more households with prime than cable television probably in three to five Wait, years. What was that fact you said? There are more of prime households than, than have a house phone or the, the end that voted in the U.S. election? More people have prime. More households have prime in the U.S. than voted in the 2016 presidential election or have a landline phone. And if current rates continue... In somewhere between three to seven years, there likely will be more households with Prime than cable television. So we now have our biggest relationship with technology is not Apple. It's still number one is Google and Facebook. But a close number two is going to be the intensity of Prime across all the wealthiest households in America. And the way you create intensity is through intimacy and fluidity of contact. And now they have license to get into all of our refrigerators. And pretty soon... You know, if you want to go buy a Panamera or Panerai or a pair of Christian Louboutins, that's fun. Go buy it. But for all the other stuff in your life you don't want to deal with, they'll just handle it all. They'll handle it all. And they'll do a really good job. So one of the things that I find so fascinating is that, um, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos, even though it was just for a very limited period of time, uh, was the richest man in the world. Um, oh, he uh, soon will be again. He soon will be again. There's no yeah. question. Um, you know, he's doing Blue Horizon, uh, and, and he, there's all these things he's doing. But what, what's the end goal? Is it that he wants to have a company that everyone on the planet uses? Like, what's the... Yeah. Yes. Nick, these guys... And by the way, I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I mean... Cap- oh, I'm not saying that either. I'm just... Oh, I, I, think, I, I think that the... the gro- we, we, have, we have, you know... So capitalism is the worst system of its kind, except for all the others. That's a great Churchill quote. But we tell these companies their role and their mission is to increase shareholder value. And I've been on a half a dozen public company boards, a dozen private company boards. Really, all the CEOs are really good people. All the CEO, CEOs are very civic-minded, and all of them, with every fiber in their body, are focused on getting the share price up. Because that's how you create economic security for yourself and your employees. And that's primarily, primarily why companies exist. So when you're at $500 billion dollars, you're going to use every tool in your arsenal and your quiver to get it to a trillion, whether it's anti-competitive behavior, which at the time you're going to rationalize as not anti-competitive. You're going to use everything you can to try and get to a trillion. And it's our job to regulate, to elect officials who are going to have the stones to stand up and say, okay, at some point, if a company can get to $500 billion in value and pay $1.4 billion in corporate taxes, meanwhile, Walmart's, Walmart's paid $64 billion since the Great Recession, while Amazon has added the value of Walmart to its market capitalization in the last 24 months, how do we continue to function as a society? How does that work? Well, so that was my, that was my next question, um, was, is, you know, uh, 
there was a report that came out a few months ago that eight uh, of the richest people on the on planet Earth uh, have the same net worth as the bottom fifty. Bottom fifty percent. That's three point six billion people compared to eight. That does not seem like capitalism works. That does not seem like the system is working. Well, it. it, Let me put it this way: it's the 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 notion that I think is scariest is the notion that. The world is what it is, and we're headed that way. I think the world is what we make of it, and I think it's absolutely possible for us to step in and say, okay, these companies should not be able to engage in massive tax avoidance. The most successful companies in the world should have to pay their fair share. The most successful companies in the world should not put in basically Trojan horses apps that evaluate every other app, and once another app gets to a certain level of traction, can then suck down those features or buy the app, which is what Facebook is doing right now. We sh- should we have one company control 90% share of an industry that is now larger than every advertising industry of the entire country except the U.S.? That's Google. I just think we need people with stones. to uh, Regulation and rules are a key part of capitalism, and they work really well. But who's at fault? Us. We look at these companies as almost like religions, and just as if you've ever been in a relationship with someone much better looking than you, you're setting yourself up for abuse. That's every relationship for me. Okay, <laughs> likewise, brother. So we are dating. We are in a relationship. We personify these companies. We see them as much hotter than us, and we're not willing to hold them to the same standards as the rest of business. So we absolute, this absolutely can work. We just need elected officials and regulators with the stones to say, I'm going to hold these companies to the same standard and scrutiny as the rest of business. Well, on that note, thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thanks for having um, me. And the book is The Four, The Hidden DNA of Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Google by Scott Galloway. Scott, thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. Thanks to my guest today, Scott Galloway. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work and my editors at Vanity Fair. And thanks, of course, to our amazing, wonderful sponsors this week, HelloFresh and HP. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I'll see you next week for another fascinating guest.